Hello, product innovators. Today we learn from a lecturer, author, and past design studio head for 25 years on how hardware startups can disrupt and capture a new market. You're listening to the Product Startup Podcast, the show that helps bring your product idea to life by chatting with successful inventors, product developers, manufacturers, and hardware industry professionals. Our goal here is to get to the bottom of what makes a product successful, from initial idea to getting your product on store shelves. We're taking you step-by-step to build a functional product and scale your product business. Hosted by Kevin Mako, one of North America's leading experts on hardware development for small product businesses. Now, onto the show. Welcome back, everyone. Today, I'm very excited to introduce Alexander Manu to the show. Alexander is the author of many design thinking books and is a lecturer at OCAD University, where I've also had the chance to lecture a few times. He was also the head of a big design studio called Axis for 25 years, starting back in 1980. Today, Alexander is going to share some valuable knowledge on how inventors, startups, and small manufacturers should attempt to disrupt and capture an industry, all done by identifying, transitioning, and defining the category for yourself so that your product can be unbeatable. Now, on to the episode. Hey, Alex. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Really excited to have you on today. You're one of the early pioneers in the design world. You ran the Design for Maxis group for 25 years, starting in 1980. That's correct. (laughs) That's amazing. As a fellow design firm owner, I can appreciate that very much. And it's exciting to hear your knowledge from that. And of course, being a lecturer at OCAD, I've actually done some lectures at OCAD myself with Harry Mahler there. So I've had the chance to meet some of the industrial design students, lots of bright minds coming out of that school. But today I want to talk about some of the books that you've written and the topics around disruption. Really, how can a hardware startup take advantage of those gaps in the market to disrupt a market, to innovate, to change, to be a leader, to create something new in a new space? And what perfect person and the person who's written the books on the topic in and around design having you on the show today? So give us a bit of a background of how you started into this journey and how you got to where you are today. Well, I think I was probably very lucky being at the right place at the right time. It was actually in the early 80s in Toronto when, funny enough, in Toronto Star and Classifieds, I found an ad placed by a company looking for an industrial designer to design a computer, (laughs) to design a personal (laughs) computer. Nobody had a clue what a personal computer was. My first job in design was for a company called Krillman International. And for that company, I designed a, a restaurant management system called Cremanco, a company called Cremanco, renamed later Remanco. They were doing restaurant management systems, which were computers. So I understood the language of bits and bytes and memory and motherboard. Very few people understood that language. So I got this job from the newspaper. They gave it to me. So I designed what became known as the Pipe Piper Communicator. If you go to pcdinosaurs.com, you will find this (laughs) computer, which was introduced in Menlo Park, California, which is now the location of Facebook, in in 1983. So all of a sudden, you understand when you go to Menlo Park, California, in the middle of Silicon Valley in 83, that you are in a completely new universe in which there are no archetypes, because nobody knew what a personal computer was. The Mac was not introduced yet. The Apple II was on the market, but it was a very small market. So essentially, what I learned from that experience in Silicon Valley was what the real meaning of innovation is in hardware in that case, right? Design something that you look at it and you realize it has no markets. It has no user base. That's fantastic. (laughs) That means it has no competitors. 
So then you have to understand that if you take this step of designing hardware, which is completely revolutionary in the sense of you might be the first in the market with something. So the strategy is always connected to you want to be the first, the best, or the only. Well, being the only, it cannot be defended. Being the first might be giving you an advantage. And being the best is what you are striving to do once you are implementing your product in the market space. So what I learned in that whole experience, what is the lesson Apple is teaching us every single time they introduce something? A lesson very valuable for all your listeners. When you want to be competitive in hardware, you have to define the market for yourself, which means you have to define the market. When people think mobile phone, they think iPhone. When people think streaming video, they think Netflix. In the past, they used to think about video. They called it blockbuster. There were companies which were iconic, defining the market for themselves. I'll give you a few more examples in an interesting way, not hardware, but connected to physicality. Tabasco has defined the market for itself and WD-40. You cannot have anything competing with WD-40 without mentioning I'm doing exactly the same job as WD-40. So those are the lessons I learned that you have to be courageous. You have to implement your strategy from the gut. In other words, understand the market with your insights, understand the context, understand the challenges, the opportunities, have an operational readiness by understanding who your stakeholders are and understand the stakeholders change all the time. So the first lesson in this whole thing is understanding. If you don't understand the micro view, what can you do, your capabilities, and the macro view, what does the market want? And what does the market want in the long term? Not right now. Typically, inventors and people that launch products launch them from an immediate opportunity. And they're not thinking in long-term foresight. They're not looking at future-proofing this for the longest possible term. There are ways to future-proof yourself with patents, obviously. There are ways to do it, but the whole idea of patent law is to disclose what you're doing. Because the whole point of a patent is to teach you how to do the thing, how to make it, right? So then you have to understand in your understanding phase of a new product introduction in hardware or any domain, how does this change the market? So it is what, what I call cognitive transformation. How does it change the market? What do I have to change in myself in communicating to people the cognitive change? So to give an example of cognitive change, we moved from film to pixels in photography. That is cognitive change. Happened in our lifetime. In our lifetime, Fujifilm doesn't exist. Kodachrome doesn't exist. Kodak doesn't exist. And this happened in our lifetime, many times over, right? So I call that moment, you know, the end of the beginning when everybody has a technology and then what? So in the mid-80s, everybody had a computer. Then what? Then Windows shows up. And Windows shows up in 1988 when everybody had a PC on their desk. Now what? Right? And then in 1991, now what? Internet. And now everybody has the internet. And in 2004, Web 2.0, Facebook, YouTube, uploading, blogging. So then you understand that all of a sudden you need to have a blueprint. Why? Because you have to look at what is the emerging technology. Maybe I'm speaking too much and you need to ask me questions, but I can go on and continue the idea if you want. Oh, that's great. I want to dig in a bit deeper to your research on Apple because something I found very interesting on the iPhone research that you did was looking at all the analysts and what they were saying in terms of how the iPhone would fail when they were doing all this professional analysis back in 2007. Dive a little bit deeper on that one for us, because I think that really drives home this point of understanding and getting the vision of where your product is going to go, how you're going to disrupt the market, and how much it can be missed when the industry is, for lack of a better word, set in their ways. 
Yeah, I, I had a lot of fun using Apple as a reference in a number of my books, how uh, companies misjudge the role of that disruptor in, in transforming society. And I keep using it because it's so, so relevant to how people are willing to learn the value of something new and reframe it. Because reframing is the issue here. So to give you an example with Apple, I just wrote in my latest book how people misjudged and misunderstood Apple spectacularly. So I collected actually a lot of negative articles and I still have it. I have a physical collection of Toronto Star, for example, on the day of January 9th when the iPhone was introduced. If you look at what the iPhone actually did, right? So the iPhone changed everything. It put the internet in everybody's pocket, transformed photography from a hobby into something that we do every in everyday life. If you look at what we call the iPhone, it has three lenses. So it's clearly not a phone, but we need to call it a phone because we are transitioning to something else. I'll discuss that in a second. It changed how software was created and distributed, iTunes, the Apple Store, and so forth. Introduced developer-driven apps, so it created a whole market for people to develop their own stuff. Transformed the advertising industry through mobile ads and made Apple the most valuable company on the planet. $2 trillion. So then you realize that this thing was a gigantic transformation of the economic system, which was missed by almost everybody. Why? Because they were analyzing Apple from an old lens, from an old perspective, from an old story not from the new story. They were looking at Apple as a hardware-based company instead of understanding it's a behavior-based company. We are not designing hardware. I'm sorry to tell people that they are not designing hardware. They are designing behavior enablers. How many behaviors can you enable? That's how much money you will make. So that's a fundamental reframing of what somebody does. It's a fundamental reframing of understanding what is my DNA? What is really my business? So then you understand that the headlines for Apple at the time were Apple iPhone to flop, product to crush in flames. The iPhone is going to fail because the design is fundamentally flawed. Another one was we predict the iPhone will bomb. And this is actually from spectacular magazines, from Fast Company, from Wired, from all the experts of the time, right? So why the iPhone will fail and fail badly? That's another title, for example. So my question then became, how can such a radical disruption to the market dynamics be so critically misjudged? Something is missing in people's understanding of a disruptor. So essentially what's missing is the fact that disruption is its own category of knowledge, which means you cannot look at a disruptor and analyze it with a previous knowledge. You have to learn. You cannot judge Facebook. You have to be on Facebook to understand it. So that's called tacit knowledge. There are two types of knowledge, explicit and tacit. Anyway, I don't want to get into that, but here's the thing that I learned with Apple. So most people didn't understand the product as a transformative culture. They understood it as hardware. It was much more than that because it enabled behaviors. A tennis racket enables a behavior, like playing tennis. A better tennis racket makes you play better tennis. So the thing is, very few people understand the disruptor. Any product is predominantly a cultural intervention. In the moment in which you understand that there are cultural interventions, then you're changing people's lives. That's what I meant by the iPhone defined the category for itself. Transformed expectations. That's another thing that products can do. They can transform expectations. The final lesson connected to this, every product is a cultural signal. Apple's engineers and designers created actually a philosophy, something that unapologetically came to transform your life and actually said it to transform your life. That's what people should strive for. It's very easy to take that lesson and appropriate it for any domain. It doesn't have to be a mobile communication. It can be any piece of hardware. Make it transformative. Give it something that is a visionary, that's desirability embedded in it. 
People need to uh, want to touch it, want to have it, want to possess it. This is such powerful stuff. I really appreciate the fact that you look at the behavioral psychology around it, understanding that hardware is just a tool. It's a means for an end. The end is Absol- the cultural absolutely. change. Absolutely. Right? And not only that, but hardware will eventually disappear. And you know what's interesting? We call it hardware, but I'm looking at the metaverse. The metaverse also needs hardware, conceptually hardware. It happens to be no physicality and no gravity, <laughs> but it still needs things to do, right? So whatever we call hardware right now is something that does something or something that allows us to do something with. Well, we need that in the metaverse. Let's talk about the vision yeah. for hardware startups, because this yeah. is something that you do when you're understanding the disruption that you're about to create. You're planning right. for the transfer it requires you to have that foresight and that vision down the road. And I like that it all ties into something you said that you can't judge it based on the current lenses. You can't right. judge a new disruptive hardware product, which is pretty much everybody that's a listener on the show is either designing or part of the industry and developing a product or developing their own product to go to right. market. All of those products have some sort of unique innovation, something that's in, like you said, it's either improving the life or it's creating a new industry, something of value, something that's new and disruptive. So right. when you're looking at this sort of things in the old lens, you can't because there's new things that are going to apply forward. So how do you look at vision? What are some of the things that hardware startups should be considering when they're planning on how to disrupt an industry. I talked about two types of strategy, the ambition strategy or the condition strategy. So the condition strategy is the thing that essentially says, I'm conditioning my vision, which is my future, on what I'm doing right now. I'm conditioning my vision on the uh, pathways that I know, the blueprints that I designed in the past. I'm conditioning my vision on what I know to do. I'm making ice cream today and what worked in the past. So I made uh, this set-top box for the TV industry in the past. I'm going to make it in the future. Can you imagine how many companies that were making cable boxes don't exist anymore? And they were very good at what they were doing. They were making really good stuff, but they didn't understand that that thing will die. TVs will become smart. Nobody is going to need a box anymore. How quickly did they transfer into something else? Well, how quickly is a question of what is my vision? What are my resources? What are my capabilities? What exactly do I know how to do? And what can I move into the future? So that means what is my path? And how can I define and change the mindsets of my market space to keep creating new stuff for them? Because they will want a different version of what I'm doing right now. They will continually want me to improve, right? So why? Because everything I'm doing, it's emerging a new behavior. So if I'm inventing the electric motor, well, the first step I'm going to do is transition everything that's mechanical to the electric motor. So I'm going to take an egg beater and I'm going to add an electric motor to the egg beater. The problem with that is the egg doesn't know. The ultimate benefit is not transform. So what I'm saying for your audience, transform the ultimate benefit. Design something that is not a transition of something. It is a transformative change moment. It's a moment in which you can obtain a new benefit out of something. Electric egg beaters remove the effort, but the egg doesn't know, which means your behavior, your life doesn't change. You still eat egg whites, which are fluffy and nice. So the thing is, when you start defining yourself as something completely new and perpetually renewing, then you have a different type, different metric. So that's another issue that I'm very, very interested in, in helping companies redefine the metric. How do we measure our success? How do we measure our work? Against what? Against what am I successful? At which point am I going to declare that this is successful? I'm going to move to the next level, which is what is my minimum achievement and what's my maximum achievement? In my maximum capability, what am I as an organization, as a hardware manufacturer or distributor or inventor? Like what am I in my maximum capability and what am I in my minimum capability? That's a very interesting way to look at the critical outcomes of a business. 
Because if you don't analyze yourself as a product, not yourself as an individual, then you are missing what could be your destiny, right? Which means, what is the desired outcome? What is it I want to do in the end as an organization? So you have to realize something. We are dealing with companies that have 2.9 billion people as a market, Facebook. How do you compete with that? How do you not understand that this guy's got to be at that level and size by absolutely desiring the best, the first and the only. So this is what I'm trying to instill in my consulting work for companies. Don't think small. Doesn't matter what your size is. Think big in terms of, you know, I run a design consultancy for 25 years. I was working at the C-level. I was working only on strategy. I was trying to define design strategy, not design products. Designing products is part of a strategy. But if I don't have a strategy, what's the point of a product? So if I don't have a strategy, what's the point of, of uh, hardware? I love how you look at both ends of the vision of where you want to get to at the end, which is really something that rarely people do, other than maybe a little bit of daydreaming. <laughs> right. People don't really spend the time to even put it down on paper, to look at those different elements, how you define it. What's your max capability, minimum capability? What's your ideal scenario, your ideal outcome? And then right. how does that back down to, well, what's your vision for both the product and the business? What's your vision personally? And what's your vision for the product? Something really interesting that you highlight there is focusing on the benefits. And we've had some marketing folks on the show. And one of the main messages in marketing, one of the biggest mistakes that hardware startups in particular make is they focus on the features and not on the benefits in marketing. And it's exactly what you're saying in terms of both vision for yourself personally and for the product, but also what are you innovating? How are you disrupting? And what's your plan to transform an industry? You've got to think about all these things and tie them together, but it all comes from that eventual vision at the end of the day. Like, where do you see this product? How do you see it disrupting it? That then has to trickle all the way back to today, how you're actually developing that product to succeed in that desired outcome. It's more than that. It's something that I encourage medium-sized companies and any startup, any startup needs to have a business model. Any startup needs to understand what is my business model? What is my value proposition? How am I different than everybody else, right? So if you don't start with a value proposition, then you are not positioning yourself at all. You are essentially dabbling in a market. You're not creating a market. So the thing is, what is your value proposition? Who are your key partners? What's your revenue model? Like All of these areas where you could make a difference. What are your key resources for creating this value proposition? And most people think a value proposition is a list of of features. No, it's not a list of features, it's the desired outcome, which is the best a man can get, Gillette. (laughs) All right, the rest is how. (laughs) So how do I deliver the value proposition? So then you realize that in most cases, in hardware, the value delivery and the value proposition are the same thing. A hammer delivers exactly what it does. So that's a very unique moment in hardware. Like hardware is different than software. Hardware delivers the best a man can get. And now the question becomes, of course, it is the best that I can get. I am the best. I am the only. And I am the first. What do you advise hardware startups do to overcome the natural industry biases that occur while they're trying to disrupt and transform those users or that industry? How do they win the game? Huh, interesting. Aside from defining the category for yourself, which is a very important thing, you need to start teaching people to unlearn the old and, and learn the new. At one point, somebody had to tell people, you know, you don't have to be connected to a wire to uh, talk to somebody on the phone. Whoa, really? I saw people in the street talking to themselves. No, they were not talking to themselves. They were talking to somebody on the phone. So all of a sudden you realize all the cognitive signals I received from people have transformed in the last 15 years. And now people look like they talk to themselves, but they're actually connected on the phone with somebody from Japan. That's extraordinary. 
And that cannot be told to anybody if people did not desire to do it. In other words, think of the maximum scenario always. So the advice to startups is this. There's always an ideal scenario of something, how people want to travel, how people want to shop, how people want to eat, what people want to eat. There's always an ideal scenario. If you plan for the ideal scenario, it may be very expensive. So then you have to come up with a beneficial compromise to the ideal. So define the ideal and come up with a beneficial compromise, which means you are still keeping the ideal. The benefit is still there, but the compromise is material quality, price points, something. So then if you define, I'm going to make the best electronic lock, then make the best. Make the best and it will be very expensive because a very expensive lock is the best lock. Just don't fall into the trap of the cheap thing made someplace else because it's cheaper. No, make the best. Make the best means the best is heavy. The best sounds like the best. The best hardware feels like the best hardware. You cannot compare a machine, a computer milled in aluminum with a plastic computer. And no, as industrial designers, we know that. We know the value of an Apple Watch. It's a phenomenal product. It's expensive, yes, but it's absolutely phenomenal as a piece of hardware. It is the embodiment of the best we can do in technology right now. That's what anybody should aspire to in hardware. Why? Because there is no excuse to do less. Because, you know, people are already corrupted in a good way by the perfection of Apple products. And once I see that product, I cannot accept any accessory that doesn't have that quality. I think you have noticed in the market space in the last couple of years, the aesthetics are almost irrelevant right now because everything looks good. Everything looks good. So then what is the differentiation? Well, in the past, it was how things look. Now it's how things are made. If you look at the Apple Watch, look at it as how is it made. Try to understand the, the complexity of the assembly. Because, you know, in the end, in hardware, what you make is what it is. Well, I find that so powerful from coming from you because you ran a design firm for 25 years and now you're on the academic side. You've written many books, have consulted with many companies, small, medium, massive companies (laughs) and everything in between. It's really interesting to hear from you to say, make the best. Because one of the things that we really advertise to our clients to do is don't feature creep. And instead, focus on solving that you know one key pain point, that major disruptor that you came up with, but do the best job at that. Do an Absolutely. extremely high quality because not only, as you mentioned, does high quality cost more as a product, as you know from being a design firm, it costs more in design and engineering. Great quality products come out of breaking things, making mistakes, figuring out not just not just what works, but also what doesn't work. That is where a lot of the value is misunderstood, especially in new product developers, when they look to kind of get to some sort of artificial end goal and they sacrifice some of the things, mainly being the best in return for cheaper quality, faster delivery, getting a design quicker, cheaper to design, less prototypes, less engineering, you name it. There's always these cutting of corners that end up being exponentially more costly to them in the long run than the cost of doing it right in the first run. And something that is very important is this. Maybe in the past, we needed to make these kind of compromises because in the end, you had to fill a skew in a store and that skew had a price point. And we were working many times in the past against that price point because somebody will identify we can fit this thing in in this place in the store and this is the price point of every other product in this place. So that is the, that was the issue in the toy industry, that was in the accessories, kitchen uh, implements, and so forth. So always as the price point. Because certain stores had price points that other stores did not have. So you have a division of warehousing, exclusive stores, and so on. 
Now you don't have that anymore because now you have drop shipping. Now you eliminated the store. Now you, it's just you and the product. First of all, you have no excuse not to make the best. The best is always obvious in everything. It photographs better. It does everything better than the worst, right? Or, or the medium. The material quality is phenomenal. The weight is phenomenal. The clicks are phenomenal. The whole thing is feels like the best. There's always something best in class. If you remember Alessi products or Stelton products or anything that's that kind of quality, if you want to look at hardware for each and where, like they're always a DeLonghi machine or Breville or some really good quality stuff that doesn't compromise anything, doesn't take any shortcuts. Yeah, look at the, the look at the Breville Espresso Barista machine. Okay. It's $900. It has absolutely everything. In other words, they did not go cheap on anything. Drawers things that move, the right pressure, pressure gauge, like everything is there. And the coffee comes out exactly how it should. And that is because of the quality of every single component in that machine. It costs money. Well, that's what it is. You know how long it will last? My previous espresso machine lasted 21 years. Fireman. So so they realize we are investing in quality stuff here. It's about people's lives, right? So you want to transform behavior and make people dependent on your quality. You want to become a quality standard. That's oh, it's very powerful stuff. Really appreciate you being on the show today. Thanks again for all your time, your words of wisdom, and we look forward to seeing you around. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Take care. You too. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Product Startup Podcast, the show that teaches you what it really takes to bring your product to market and turn it into a big success. This podcast series is brought to you by Maco Design and Invent, the original and leading firm in North America to provide global caliber end-to-end physical consumer product development to startups, inventors, and small product business clients. If you're looking for product development help on your invention, head over to macodesign.com that's m-a-k-o design.com for a free consultation from one of maco designs for design studios from coast to coast thanks for listening and see you next time